Many of you have asked for it, and so I spent some of my paternity leave creating it, an introductory stoicism course. The best part? I've launched it using Gumroad's pay-what-you-want model. So if you want to pay $0, you can get the course for free. That's right, free. Learn more and enroll in the course by going to understandingstoicism.com. That's understandingstoicism.com. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hey there, welcome back to Practical Stoicism. Thanks for returning for another meditation. I appreciate you. A reminder that if you would like to get rid of ads and these little preamble messages, you can become a subscriber to the premium feed by going to stoicism.supercast.com. It's just $6 a month and it helps me to do this full time which is, of course, the dream of any podcaster. It's very rarely achieved, but I am getting closer and closer with every new episode that I put out. The growth of this show has been incredible. It's all really in thanks to all of you sharing, reviewing, and keeping me focused, sending me messages of support, asking me questions, and, of course, becoming premium subscribers. That is a big part of it. So I appreciate you. I want you to know that. And I will get right into today's meditation, which will be Meditation 12 from Book 2. That meditation reads as follows. How quickly all things disappear. In the universe, the bodies themselves, but in time, the remembrance of them. What is the nature of all sensible things, and particularly those which attract with the bait of pleasure, or terrify by pain, or are noised abroad by vapory fame? How worthless, how contemptible, how sordid and perishable and dead they are. All this, it is part of the intellectual faculty to observe. To observe also to whom these opinions and voices give reputation. What death is, and the fact that if a man looks at it in itself, and by the abstractive power of reflection resolves into their parts all the things which present themselves to the imagination in it, he will then consider it to be nothing else than an operation of nature. And if anyone is afraid of an operation of nature, he is a child. This, however, is not only an operation of nature, but it is also a thing which conduces to the purposes of nature. To observe as well how man comes near to the deity, and by what part of him, and when this part of a man is so disposed. 
The things we love will be broken eventually, tossed into landfills, perhaps. The memories we have and that others have of us will eventually fade into obscurity, and no one will ever remember that fond memory we have about that one thing that was so important to us. And these things happen pretty quickly, don't they? What is a hundred years in the grand scheme of time? Science tells us that human beings have existed in their current Homo sapien form for over 300,000 years. So, a hundred years? How many times has that come and gone since our start? 3,000 times? And since every hundred-year period spans something like three to four generations, that means since we've been modern humans, there have been 9,000 to 12,000 generations that have come and gone. What do we remember of them? How eternal were their fears or their prideful things? Marcus might survive in his writing, but eventually he too will be gone. After all, it's only been, what, 30 to 80 generations since Marcus died? Have you ever researched your own family tree, maybe just for fun? If you have, you know how true this is. Time gobbles up all things and eventually turns them into vapor, never to be recongealed into the things they were. And some of you might say, well, hey, here we are, reading Marcus, something like 2,000 years later. I guess we can survive because we're, we can be really important and famous. Yeah, but I've got news for you. One day, our sun is going to turn into a red giant. It's going to engulf the earth and literally everything will be gone. And nobody's going to remember us because there ain't going to be any people left. And maybe we escape to another planet, something like that. But eventually, Marcus is going to be forgotten. Einstein's going to be forgotten. All these people who have had really big impacts and have had their names last a significant time through history, most everything about them, if not everything about them, are going to be forgotten. It is the nature of things. You might think it's contradictory that we remember Marcus, but think of everybody we don't remember. Certainly there are exceptions to every rule, but those are exceptions, and I don't think in this case they last that long. Certainly not forever. How quickly all things disappear. In the universe, the bodies themselves. How quickly all things disappear. In the universe, the bodies themselves, but in time, the remembrance of them. What is the nature of all sensible things, and particularly those which attract with the bait of pleasure, or terrify by pain, or are noised abroad by vapory fame? How worthless and contemptible and sordid and perishable and dead they are. All of this is part of the intellectual faculty to observe. We've got to read a little bit between the lines here, but what Marcus is saying is the first time I think we've seen him be truly morbid. But that doesn't make him anything but what we've learned a Stoic should be. Not morbid, but logical. Even if that logicalness seems morbid to some. He's saying that famous people, those individuals who, in our own modern times, take up so much of our attention, they all die. They wind up decaying bodies in a grave somewhere. And they wind up forgotten as well. Just like you, just like me. Their fame is temporal, superficial, and meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Why would we envy them? Why would we obsess over them? To observe also those whom these opinions and voices give reputation, what death is, and the fact that if a man looks at it in itself and by the abstractive power of reflection resolves into their parts all the things which present themselves to the imagination in it, he will then consider it to be nothing else than an operation of nature. And if anyone is afraid of an operation of nature, he is a child. 
This, however, is not only an operation of nature, but is also a thing which conduces to the purposes of nature. It's worth mentioning that these meditations, all of them in Book 2, are said to have been written while Marcus was engaged in a campaign against the Quadi, a Germanic people who fought Rome in the Marcomannic Wars, and that, if this is true, death would have been not only on his mind, but also happening right before his very eyes on a daily basis on the battlefield. That means these meditations aren't just thoughts that Marcus is writing down while lazed in his study at the end of a day of eating grapes and being an emperor. They are thoughts he is writing down and which are helping him to psychologically navigate the reality which may have been surrounding him the very moment he was writing them down. So to write about reducing your fear of death and especially your own death down to an inevitability and a necessary process I imagine this is quite useful in a situation where you might actually die, but also during times when you might waste time or place too much importance on what someone else thinks of you. Marcus strikes me as having been a very practical man, and he's not writing these things down in a vacuum. He's applying the value of these meditations in the very life bookending them. This meditation closes with, to observe, too, how man comes near to the deity and by what part of him, and when this part of man is so disposed. Remember, Marcus thinks of God as being a rational universe, a rational universe of which we are a part and from which we are constructed. I don't think he's mocking anyone in this closing thought, nor do I think he's advocating for his conception of God. Instead, I think he's saying, it matters how you choose to think of God because your intellect is affected greatly by that choice. Grasp God wrongly or poorly, and you'll have spent your entire life differently than you would have had you grasped God correctly or differently or better. But also, maybe focusing on understanding God correctly helps you to view life more stoically, and you should keep that in mind when deciding how God or the conceptual understanding of God will fit into your life. What's the practical takeaway from this meditation? I think it's this it's all temporal. We all die, and that makes us all equals in the end. And what matters most is that we understand this and use it to think more rationally about how we spend our time and energy, and how important we are not in the long term, and how this makes our behavior in the here and now all the more deserving of our focus and attention. And then, also and lastly, be careful what we believe and how we believe it, because what we believe shapes us in ways we cannot change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. If you enjoyed it, if you learned something from it, consider leaving a review of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. Again, if you'd like to get rid of ads and if you'd like to support the show, you can become a premium subscriber by going to stoicism.supercast.com and any support you can give, I would greatly appreciate. Thank you again for listening and until next time, take care. Take care.